Take the gift and run to the team plane. Run, sprint, straight to the Houston airport. Kevin Bowen back. Another edition of Kevin's Corner. Mark Dykton again filling in on this Monday morning. We should have Chris Presley back next week. Uh, that was wild. The NFL is always wild. But just when you think you've kind of seen it all, I don't know. I, I'm sure I've seen it, but like that's about as costly of a snap as you're going to have. Yeah, I mean, I... I think most of us just assume, okay, Houston's going to score, right? And Phil Rivers and the offense is going to have to go down the field and either get a field goal or get a touchdown and try to win this thing. And that did not happen. I know. I was kind of thinking, well, Fairbairn has had some wild kicks. He might miss the extra point. Um, and the Colts, I thought very smartly, were taking their timeouts there, and you know would have had whatever right around a minute. It, it's one of those fine line situations. And Deshaun Watson talked about it after the game. I think in an ideal world, Houston would have ran it there not gotten into the end zone, but burned the 40 seconds yep. and then try to get in on third or fourth down. But you're playing with fire, obviously, in that situation. So uh, a lot to talk about on today's pod, as usual, on Mondays, what I liked, what I didn't like. We'll get into tons of Twitter questions as well. Uh, as we are recording this, Raven Clark, torn Achilles is the report uh, from Tom Pelissero. My guess there is um, as long as Chaz Green's back – made it through the game he's had some back issues I guess he would start again if Anthony Costanzo can't go but you're gonna have to sign a tackle the Colts really oh, have no sure. one else um, I know there were some whispers internally about possibly moving Quentin Nelson over to left tackle if you really needed an emergency situation but um, that'll be something to watch as the week plays out and I guess Mark before I you know we we get into what I like what I didn't like just overall quick thoughts it is a gift, but this is an 8-4 and four football team, and we will acknowledge that, and that's the best start since 2014. And you put yourself in a position to where Houston showed why, if they had a top-10 pick, they would be drafting in the top-10, but Miami will have their pick. Like, they showed that, but you also put yourself in a position to where when they gave you the gift, it was to win the football game. And yep. that was with great playmaking from the defense in the second half. Um, some skill guys certainly emerging on offense. And, um, yeah, I mean, here you are, man. This is a team that w- where we kind of lie in the expectations for the Colts this season. Get to the playoffs and win a playoff game. I think that is kind of the barometer of where you're at here in 2020 with the seventh playoff team this year. Getting to the playoffs was no guarantee as of – 3.45 p.m. Eastern time Sunday afternoon. Like, if you lose that game, that's three divisional losses you've had this year as a favorite. That's hard to overcome in the NFL. So you will happily take the gift. And we can also acknowledge that what I saw yesterday in the course of 60 minutes, while there are a couple things that you can point to of, okay, if this continues, good, 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 there's also some stuff that I look at and say, I still don't think this team – uh, can go on the road and, and win a game in the month of January. Yeah, you never, ever apologize for wins in the NFL, no. especially division wins in December. You will take those all day, no matter how ugly or how lucky they be, they appear. You take them every single time. So, great win for the Colts. 
looking good so far in the playoff picture. It's still busy and all that, but you'll take the division win anytime you can get it. Yeah, and, and one more last thing before we get into what I liked. I thought Justin Houston had a really good quote after the game about that win and kind of summarized the, the locker room. And I don't know if anyone watches the or if you've seen the Colts have that stationary camera on the field after games and players come up and kind of do a quick mm-hmm. little one and oh baby, let's go, you know, and then run run in the locker room. If you hear the tone in the players in that video and then you hear Justin Houston's quote afterwards, they know they stole one. Yeah. And that Houston was two yards away from that being a loss. And Houston's quote afterwards was we need to get better to get to where we want to go. That is 100% true. You're doing it as a winner, though, which with a crowded division, a wild card picture that isn't totally favorable for you, you needed there. Before you can win in January, you got to get to January. So that's why yesterday was obviously extremely important. But at the same time, as Houston says, you have to get better. That product, that 60 minutes we saw on Sunday, that ain't winning an arrowhead. That's probably not winning a home game versus, you know, Cleveland or Tennessee. If you were to win the division, you must get better. But you also really needed a victory, yeah. especially in the division. Feel free to ban me from the podcast after I say this next thing. But I'm going <laughs> to quote Nick Foles from the Bears earlier oh this God. season, yeah. where he said, "Would you rather win ugly or lose pretty?" And that was a win ugly game. And as a Colts fan, you have to be happy with the results. And Oh, my God. I feel like I need to walk out of the room after I just yeah, <laughs> I, pulled that I, I was going to say, I don't know if people made it past seven minutes into the, the, this edition <laughs> of Kevin's Corners. We'll have to go back and check that. But, uh, yeah, and and I, and I you feel a little bit, or at least I do personally, I, I know the, 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 the Martin family um, just a little bit. Nick Martin, an Indy native. I mean, think about that. Yeah. You know, that's probably one of the games you circle on your schedule, and you're not making the playoffs. Nope. And as a center – I mean, that is the one thing that, you know, obviously has to get back to Deshaun Watson. And crazy play. We'll get into it all, and let's hop in, man. All right. Kev, pretty easy. What did you like about the win over the Texans? Well, I, I think you start with, um, I don't know if he's part of the McNair family, a distant cousin, but <laughs> uh, he certainly owns Houston, and it's, it's remarkable, Mark, that T.Y. Hilton continues to do what he does against that football team. I don't care who the head coach is. I don't care who is throwing him the football. Uh, It doesn't matter the secondary personnel for the Texans. T.Y. Hilton continues to show up. And um, clearly a plan early on, which was interesting because we had Mark Vandermeer, the um, voice of the Texans, on Mm -hmm. Friday on the morning show, and he was terrific. And I don't know if I asked him this question or how it came up, but basically it was Will Fuller, Bradley Roby losses. Break them down. And he was like, Roby means more than Fuller. And we saw it. I mean, literally, Deshaun yep. Watson is, you know, I made the joke earlier uh, earlier today, like he's thrown to, you know, Chad Hansen, who works in the you know Texans marketing department <laughs> for all we know, and he's over 100 yards. Like Deshaun Watson is freaking incredible. But – you don't have a guy in the secondary or the depth in the secondary or a quarterback back there to make up for personnel losses. And I thought that the Colts clearly had an approach of we're going to attack their depleted secondary. And Hilton, the variety of catches, it was the contested catch on the sideline on a huge third down. It was a little bit out of his radius making plays we don't typically see kind of 5-9 wideouts make. I really like this, and this is a subtle thing, but watching Hilton for now nearly a decade – He's not a big, I'm going to put my head down and get two or three yards after the catch. He's not that. And like, okay, Marvin Harrison was never that guy. But Hilton is never one to, 
you know, kind of run through arm tackles or really fight for that extra yard or two. I feel like he's done more of that as of late. And I thought he he, he made a play early in that game where he did that. Uh, obviously, the yards after catch on the touchdown as well. Best game in quite a while, man. And when you think about it, it's December football. Like, who who's going to step up? Point blank period. And you just mentioned it. Like, getting a win in the division in December is no just layup. And if the Colts can get this out of Hilton with what Pittman's shown a little bit more of, and Jonathan Taylor seems to be emerging a little bit as well, that is a takeaway I have from Sunday where, again, that 60-minute effort and the inconsistencies offensively and defensively, that ain't getting it done in January. But if Hilton and Taylor, and you can bottle that, that's a little bit to work with there. Uh, but still, Hilton really good. That's why I've been saying all year long, I don't think it's physical. I, I This is not him falling off a cliff. So, and um, I thought it was needed for him yesterday. So why do you think he thrives so much in Houston? What is it about the Texans that just he's on it? And don't you wish that game happened in like week three or four right. to get him going? Uh, yeah, to get his confidence going a little bit. Yeah, yeah I, it's um, it, it's such a cool. I mean, can you imagine Houston Sports Talk Radio today? Oh. Like, holy shit, we're doing we're, we're, we're doing this again. And, and to me, Mark, what is really astonishing is Romeo Cornell has been on that staff since 2014. It's not like they've had these new wave of coaches come in, and it's like, oh, yeah, T.Y. Hilton, yeah, pretty good player, but look, he's done nothing this year. No, no, no. Romeo Cornell, like, there's a reason why you won't be the full-time head coach, and it's because of that. Like, like that stuff cannot happen. How, I mean, God, I felt like Hilton was in man coverage so often throughout that game so yeah for all these coaches that supposedly watch film day in and day out and work 18 hour days you would think when the when the Colts are on the schedule you circle okay we need to cover T.Y. Hilton and year in and year out they don't do it and it blows my mind that they just don't scheme against him and he burns them every single year just maddening I mean I, I can't imagine being a Texans fan I can't think of a Colt equivalent to that like you know, yeah, sure, Brady do a degree, and, you know, people freak out when Josh Scobie kicks a field goal and Darren Sproles, but, like, to have done it for your entire career. I mean, this is since his rookie season. Yeah. Hilton has gone down there and put up Hall of Fame numbers. Well, yeah, we went through the stats. 98 receptions, over 1,700 yards, 11 touchdowns in 18 career games, including a postseason. Video game. That is <laughs> a video game. Like, that is insane. a creative player. I'm Randy Moss on 1998 NCAA football playing my brother in the basement, and Chad Pennington is throwing it to Randy Moss every single play. That, I mean, it's, that's that's what it is. It's insane. Anything outside of Tilton that you liked? Yeah, we'll, we'll go two more here. And secondly, Mark, I'll say the, the, the playmaking of the defense. And, and look, yesterday was not a, by any means, a perfect day to, defensively. Way too much yards allowed in the first half. And, you know, Watson is a tough challenge. But again, good luck finding Chad Hansen available in your fantasy league. I, I don't even know if he's in the system of fantasy football, and yet he had over 100 yards yesterday. But what I liked about the defense was the individual playmakers making plays. Like, with Watson, you've got to make a play. Like, he's so damn good that you've got to create your own. And Kenny Moore created it with what he did at the end of the first half and what he did on the interception. Justin Houston and DeForest Buckner created it up front as well. Boy, having Buckner back, man, it's just... (laughs) It's night and day. Like, for fans that don't 
you know, maybe don't always watch the ball. Just watch Buckner. Like, it is an art, him rushing the passer. And what he does to opposing offensive linemen, boy, you you, you really feel for some of those guys. Um, again, Kenny Moore, he's such a just such a great football player. And against that team, he's such a weapon. You know, his blitz sets up the Justin Houston safety. And the, the thing that stands out about Houston, which I had people like – when you do two po- podcasts a week, Mark, and, and, and you do a lot of rate, I kind of forget what I say. I guess I called out Justin Houston a good amount on last week's podcast. I don't know. Maybe that was a Wednesday pod that I didn't do with you. But whatever. I, I, I don't think he's like a great two- to three-second like pure quick rusher. But what he is very good at is playing within their scheme. Like, he's a great stunter. He's a great effort guy which again these aren't the sexiest compliments in the world but like when you have Watson who holds on to it and holds on to it you're those plays are going to get home and both the Houston sacks were kind of slower developing Mm -hmm. things but they got home you know he had the strip obviously the safety speaks for itself there um yeah man it's just the defensive playmaking I thought Sunday was the most disguise and the most variety of blitzes we've seen the Colts use in quite some time and it's not always going to get home, and it clearly didn't get home at times. But eventually you were able to wear them down, and your playmakers, when you have, of your 11 defensive players, Mark, I'd say six of them, and honestly I'm probably probably more like seven, have made multiple game-changing plays this season. Yesterday, Houston, Buckner, Moore, I'd slot in that category. Mm-hmm. Yep. Obviously, Darius Leonard. Obviously, Julian Blackman. Certainly, Xavier Rhodes. Danico Autry probably deserves mention in that category as well. Like, oh my gosh. I mean, when is the last time we've rattled off that for a Colts defense? <laughs> I couldn't even tell you because usually it's the offense carrying the defense. Right. And it's, yeah. You, You're getting playmakers stepping up from different positions on a weekly basis. Every level. Every level of that defense. And again, that was not a perfect effort by that unit. Um, but still... I wanted to note that defensive playmaking because those guys continue to make plays. And, and then lastly, Mark, I just think Phillip Rivers gutting it out. You know, this time last year, the Colts had a banged-up quarterback not playing winning football through injury. This year they have a banged-up quarterback playing winning football through injury. Different injury, different quarterbacks, all that. But in the month of December, you need winning football from that position. And Rivers gave you that yesterday. I mean, over 75%. Um, you know, a couple touchdowns, very efficient. Houston's not a great defense, but still, preparation's been altered. Things are different for Rivers right now. He's not practicing on Wednesdays. He wasn't even out there early on the Thursday practice. You know, wearing wearing a walking boot a lot more. Um, you know, Rich Gannon, I thought mentioned on the telecast, it's not an injury you can get shot up. You know, toe doesn't kind of react to that there's not a lot of fat in in your foot toe area it's more nerves not to get super crazy technical here but um and and Gannon also mentioned it's kind of affects him at the top of the drop so maybe that's why we won't see as many vertical balls here down the stretch but just a methodical passing game effort with the third string left tackle with the run game that really wasn't supporting you until the end of the game um I did want to mention Rivers here before we moved on because I felt like his ball placement on the yards after catch, really, really good. And, you know, Frank Reich feels like he, he can play through this, you know? I, w- I was going to ask you that because Reich said after the game that 
had the Texans scored, he had confidence the offense could have gone down and either you know, and and scored in some fashion. Do you have that same confidence with Rivers under center that the, the Colts were going to go if they marched down the field and score if they needed to? You know, I I don't, but I don't want to label that all on Rivers in that situation. I think time and score and like all that dictates saying no timeouts, third string left tackle. A Texans defense that was very rested because that was a long kind of Watson drive there at the end. But I I will say this, Mark. I think if the Colts can find that sort of drive in one of these final four games, the the game winning, the comeback, we haven't seen that. Like late game, basically you do what Houston was about to do and then obviously finish off the drive. But that can be a jolt for this football team. But I, I, I don't want to act like that's some big knock on Rivers. Last year at quarterback, water found its level in December. This year, your level of quarterback play is more afloat, if you mm-hmm. will, if you want to stick with the water you know, theme here. Um, and hopefully none of you have to go to the bathroom now after I've said water <laughs> like nine times in the last 30 seconds. But this is an injury they feel like he can play through. Now, we'll get into this later, but you know, I'm curious, how does this sort of thing possibly impact what you view him as moving forward in 2021 but and Frank Reich is right about this they don't sprint out with him there's no bootlegs with this guy like he's stationary so if you can protect well which if you look at yesterday literally the failed drives were so much on the O-line and protection or penalties like you hate to boil it down to that but really it is and as long as that O-line can you know keep him confined in that pocket and give him enough room to operate I I still think he can give you pretty good football okay now it's off to what you didn't like about the game yeah um what did i go with here what was it fourth uh, the one? fourth and one decision yeah, yeah um okay this is you know if nick martin makes an accurate snap and fairbairn misses the kick you know people are picketing outside of frank reich's house right now <laughs> um this is where i lie on the fourth and one call mark first off i could not agree more with the decision to go for it, which actually differs from both of our hosts this this morning in, in their opinion of it. Why I like to go for it in that situation, a field goal pushed it to seven. It's still a one-possession game. Houston's desperate. They're going for two in that situation. I don't like defending Deshaun Watson on a two-point conversion. I don't know about you. No. Um, that's my first opinion. And... I felt like if he went up two scores there, the game was over. Where Reich and I certainly disagree is the play call. The play call to me was awful. And, I, again, I don't think the decision is awful. I agree with the decision. It's the play call that frustrates me the most. And I feel like Frank Reich is talking out of two sides of his mouth here, Mark. Preaches analytics to the nth degree. Fine. I get it. It's 2020 in the NFL. You have to do that. The analytics were heavy, heavy go there. Okay, I agree with you there. Do the analytics say Naeem Hines in a shotgun snap where you have Rivers next to him? That takes out any threat of running there? No. That's where my disagreement comes into play. The analytics in that situation, you look at your short yardage chart over the last month. Jacoby Brissett in short yardage has been borderline incredible, really, with the success rate. J.J. Watt is not lining up over center in that situation. You put Brissett under center, the threat of the sneak, first off, gets the Texans thinking some things. And secondly, just purely the execution of him sneaking there likely gets it. To me, you didn't give 
that play as good of a chance as you should have. Well, the shotgun with Hines where he is, he's going from a dead stop then. Rather than having him handed off to him and he's already in motion, that, he's going from a dead start. Too. And so you're not getting any momentum going. And it's just, yeah, I, I like the decision. I didn't like the play call either. But that always drives me crazy when you're making a fourth and one, basically a fourth and three, fourth and four. It's right. Just, it's, I didn't get it. No, and, and Reich mentioned afterwards, you know, there's multiple options to that play. I think there was kind of an RPO look to the bottom of the picture, Pascal, and I forget who the other wideout was. I think that was a potential option. But in that situation, I, I want my threat at quarterback in the game. And Jacoby Brissett right now, again, he is a short yardage weapon. We have talked about that. Yeah, the Brissett package. We've <laughs> Yes, literally. I, I, I That was an ideal time to use it. Perfect time. I, I couldn't believe it. So CBS obviously shows the sideline shot like right so let's just set it up from here it was a third and 13 screen to Pittman gets 12 yards and as soon as Pittman gets tackled I'm like Brissett and go that was my first thought the whole offense runs back to the huddle they're like hell yeah we're gonna go for it you look to the sideline Rivers is like at the sideline like Rivers is like you know the high school quarterback that runs and gets the play from the coach (laughs) and then runs back in you know and is like all right okay we're gonna run a pitch to the right for the 13th time because they can't stop it Rivers is probably thinking Brissett's coming in right and Reich's like no 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 you go in Jack Doyle's near the sideline he's a bit confused whether he should go in or not Quint Nelson's telling Chaz Green what to do on the play like it was just a lot of kind a lot of confusion there Reich likes to go hurry up in those situations because which I kind of agree with this when you when a defense makes a big play on third down you know everyone holds up the fist and says fourth down and they're all you know tackling and punt teams running on but when you play the Colts, you can't celebrate like mm-hmm. that. Third down is just okay. Yeah, four. You know, we get you know two and a half yards, two and a half yards, two and a half yards, two and a half yards. Uh, first down, move move the chains. It felt like the Texans were pretty ready in that situation for it there, and so I think that is where you had confusion. You know, would a timeout have been great in that situation? No, but a timeout and you convert, <laughs> you're going to win the football game. Yeah, um, sometimes timeouts give you a chance to settle, think about things for a second, and maybe you do go with Brissett at that point. You're like, all right, actually, Brissett package works here. Yes. I think they rushed the decision, and you can just, I mean, yeah, you said there's confusion on the line, there's confusion all over the place, and you saw the result. So we would be killing them if they didn't pull out the victory. I think I think that, that would have been an even bigger spotlight. And that's why we're bringing this up right now. Yeah. Like, and, and speaking of killing, uh, the Jets have fired Greg Williams, which is just – awesome after yesterday so job well done on adam gase still employed who would have had that yeah well you got to keep some of the tank projects still alive there uh what one one more thing on this mark and we'll get into this more twitter questions because certainly we had a lot of them And, and we are addressing this because again this is what we do on this podcast it is never 60 minutes of perfect football it certainly was not that yesterday and you are a nick martin accurate snap deshaun watson execute the play away from this being the costliest play, if that's even a word, of of the football game. Like, this is such a monument. And when you are a team that is not Kansas City or New Orleans or Pittsburgh, you can't afford these mistakes. Your margin for error is slim, not only as a team in the AFC picture, but within a 60-minute game. Like, these games you can lose. You arguably should have lost yesterday. So that's why we will address it Reich mentioned after the game that he feels like his running backs are interchangeable so that's why Hines was in that situation 
again, I disagree in that. Now, you could have had Gail Sayers at running back there, and that play wasn't going to work. Another issue, Trey Burton, your 235-pound running back, all of a sudden is pulling into the middle of the (laughs) Texans' defense. That's not going to go well either. But I I just don't get the interchangeable backs. Like, look, that's fine. You want to be unpredictable. It sounds good. In the most important play of the football game, I want my greatest strength, my best players for that situation out there. Point blank, period. And that's where the disconnect happens with me. All right. Time for Twitter questions. There are oh, lot- I, I think I got one more that I, okay. that, 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 that I didn't like. Just briefly, consistency issues mark over 60 minutes. It's difficult to sustain. Sustain great offense for 60 minutes and great defense for 60 minutes. I acknowledge that. But, like, the Colts are literally going from really good to, like, historically bad from one half to the other. Like, that, that it's like 24 first-half points tied for, or I think, the most all season long. Shut out in the second half. Defensively, you give up, again, a 20 spot in the first half, and then you have a shutout and you score two points. It's like... There just has to be a level of consistency that is sustained more over the course of four quarters. Um, and this is something that has really, really surprised, really been there now for multiple months. I can't think of I can't think of the last time the Colts played 60 really good minutes of football or pretty good minutes of football on either side of the ball. Maybe offensively in Tennessee on that Thursday nighter. But unless I'm totally missing it, I, I you would have to go back to like the Jets or the Vikings early in the season to where and, and my worry is just this when it's a legit football team, a playoff team on the other sideline, you showing up for thirty minutes and then being an abomination in the other thirty minutes, is that going to be enough? So that's kind of where my uh where I lie and just the how this team looks both sides of the ball over the course of 60 minutes. Yeah, try that against the Steelers in a few weeks and see yeah. how that goes. I, I was going to say, at, at, at Heinz Field, um, yeah, or right now if the playoffs are today, trip to Arrowhead, you know? Cool. So that's where we got to evaluate things on. All right, now it's time for Twitter questions, and there are a lot of them. Yes. Connor, hey, Kevin, is Sunday's win one of those where it's an ugly win for sure, but an important gritty win when you don't play well that most playoff teams need to win one of these games. Love the pod. Yeah, Connor. I mean, obviously, every team has some sort of game like this. Now, it was gift-wrapped in a way that, you know, typically not a lot of them are gift-wrapped. Um, I would say something about this Colts team here in 2020 that's impressed me is they've bounced back. You know, they have been, after every loss this year, they've responded with, with a win. And as we've said, winning is always better than the alternative, especially in a very crowded AFC. But like I said you know, earlier, we're starting to see those trends of the consistent slow starts, the 60 minutes of football on, on either side of the ball um, isn't there. So, yes, it is important to get a gritty win, but like, I just can't go full there when – Yes, it would feel differently if this was a strip sack by DeForest Buckner at the 40-yard line, but it was literally an errant snap mm-hmm. is a huge reason why you are an 8-4 and four football team versus 7-5 and five and sweating big time in what this playoff picture looks like. Yeah, so. there, there are plenty of teams that 
I mean, when it's your year to get to the playoffs and everything, balls bounce your way sometimes, and that was one of those situations where on other seasons, maybe it's a 5-11 and 11 season, that ball doesn't go your way. But it's an 8-4 season, and now you're – you're looking good so far. I think that's a great point. And and also, Mark, what I have a question in the final four weeks is, can this team close? You know, Green Bay was such an awkward close to that game. Oh. Yesterday was such an awkward close. And I guess this is mainly on the offense. But, like, can you finish? I don't think this team is capable of routinely coming back. And so you sh- you are kind of built to close. You have this big offensive line with all this invested and Jonathan Taylor as this running back and this veteran quarterback that should be able to manage things really well late game situations and a defense that obviously has been vastly improved this season. Can you close better? You know, you've boy, you've you've played with fire there and uh that well, just can't happen in January. That the Bengals game sticks out to me where they were just down multiple scores, and you're like, what is happening? And they somehow pulled it off. I think that more has to do with the Bengals than right, it does the Colts. Right. But that was one of those games, too, where you're like, "That's that looked like a loss, and they pulled it out. For but, sure. I mean, and, and again, it's it, it's one – yes, getting that done, huge, great. That's big. But when you weigh it in terms of what month of January looks like, yeah, it's not going to be that easy. Yeah, it, you're not doing that against the Chiefs, Ravens, Steelers, no, et cetera, no, and getting away with it. No. All right, I'm assuming this is from three different people and not multiple personalities. This is Alex, <laughs> Chris, and John. We had a lot of questions about this. Do the Colts have some co- sort of bias against Jonathan Taylor? It seems like when Hines and Wilkins do well, they're the only ones who Reich lets touch the ball. But when Taylor does well, Reich seems determined to keep Wilkins and Hines in the rotation. I agree with riding the hot hand, but that only seems to be true when Hines and Wilkins are hot. You know, it, it's a very interesting point and question. I do feel like Jonathan Taylor was very unfairly put into the doghouse for some reason yesterday. Basically, how Frank Reich does it is this. He scripts the first 15 plays, and he personally chooses the running back in on those plays. And he likes to use all of them early on. Fine. But as soon as you get to that end of the first quarter, you've got to see who has given you the best opportunity. And it was clear Jonathan Taylor had a couple of runs where it wasn't just like a 10-yard run mark it was how he looked I thought he missed made guys miss a little bit more than he has recently I thought there was a bit of a Marlon Mack kind of one cut decisiveness to him where there was something that continued from the Green Bay game I think we like in the coaching staff clearly forgot this yesterday Jonathan Taylor's best half as an NFL pro was the second half against Green Bay and just because he, you know, was a high close contact and was out last week doesn't mean that he still didn't do that his last time out. And you're not worried about him symptom wise or COVID, you know, all that. So I, I it was mind boggling to me that he had one carry after the opening series until the fourth quarter. Yeah, you were like the best sometimes the best thing for a running back is to have confidence. And he was getting confidence with some of those runs, and then they completely went away from him. Completely. And you probably not only got rid of that confidence, but you've also slowed down someone that was doing some good work for you. You had eight straight drives where he carried the ball one time. And I get it. You were having success through the air, but like Wilkins and Hines were still touching the ball a whole lot. And I think deep down you have to realize we got a third string left tackle in the game. That's not going to hold up the entire game. And I mean, what was it? Seven straight passes at one point, eight straight passes at one point. Like Watt eventually got home. And I, I was surprised they didn't put him opposite Chas Green more. I have a feeling if somehow Costanzo is going to miss another couple games, then 
that's something they might do in, in the return matchup here in a couple of weeks. But um, yeah, this is something to where I feel like Frank gets so inundated with play calling, which understandably it's an extremely difficult job. You almost forget the personnel usage, and Tom Rathman decides the running backs coach. He decides the personnel after those first scripted fifteen plays, and that's where you know. If you're in a situation where you're managing things a little bit more, you're like, where's Taylor? Why has he not been in in a couple series? Like, let's get him going again. And in the fourth quarter, you obviously saw what what Taylor did there. So um, I think Taylor is the lead back. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I think he deserves that, that sort of number one role down the stretch. All right, Jordy. Why aren't the Colts going deep to Pittman? Doing more jump balls with Pittman. He's got great at crossing routes, which is actually a surprise because he was drafted with his big body and jumping. I think that shows he has a really high ceiling. Also, I hate praising anything about the Texans, but, man, how about Deshaun Watson? That dude is just incredible. Oh, man. Jordy, we got a Bears fan in here. Should, should we remind him who the Bears <sighs> took in that 2017 draft? I still I – can, I can still in my mind, I picture – can relive the guttural scream I let out when they said that the Bears took Mitchell Trubisky over to Sean Watson, it's, I think my wife has a tattooed in her memory, too. I mean, so, <laughs> something that I, just, I love about Watson outside of his play is, like, how much it means to him. I mean, that was pretty real yesterday, seeing his dejection on, on the sideline and, and, and all of that. But um, to your point, Jordy, yeah, I, um, you know, some back shoulder stuff with Pittman. Uh, you know, we, we, we've talked about, you know, I'm such a big – Notre Dame football fan that that a play that I love that they've used a lot more here as of late is Javon McKinley, one of their bigger wideouts. You know, anytime he's got man, you know, Ian Book just gives him a chance of you know you're going to either beat that corner or you're going to make a play in the air on it, and I'm going to take my chance because I think that fifty fifty ball is more like seventy thirty. I would just like to see Pittman attempt some of those potential plays, and then all of a sudden, okay, trial and error. We like it, we don't like it. We can incorporate that a little bit more or, or take that out. Um, and, but, again, this goes back to my point I think I made last pod of, like, you know, Pittman and man, is he beating press on a routine basis? And then also you got to think about Costanzo injury. If Rivers are having trouble planting at the top of that drop back, is that hindering the vertical passing game at all? And, like, true vertical, like, yeah. you know, 30-yard stuff down the field there. So If you're not getting timing, hard to do too many deep routes. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, that'll be something that I think is is kind of the next element to his game, but there are some factors played into that right now. All right, Bailey, back-to-back red zone pass deflections and then the crucial interception. Got to love what we're seeing out of Kenny Moore. Don't think we've seen him miss on a one-and-one on open field tackle either. Is this a Pro Bowl year for Kenny Moore? It better be. I mean, I, I've carried this flag now. This will be the second year for it. It's um, Mark, he's one of the more technically sound football players I've really ever seen. And I know that sounds like major hyperbole, but his technique as a open field tackler, as a slot corner, as a blitzer, it's all elite. All of it. Like, it, it, this... It, He's 5'9 and 170 pounds. Like, those guys don't last in the NFL, and they certainly don't have a variety of skill set like he does. But he has that. Um, man, the interception he had, those plays to end the first half. Huge. Just huge. He's He is a such a solid, solid football player and brings playmaking to the position that is massive 
in a um, Matt Eberflus offense. Well, he's one of those guys that is under the radar to a lot of national people or just people who aren't Colts fans. But highlights like that he put together yesterday, that'll get him on the Pro Bowl ballots more. Like, oh, that guy from Indianapolis right. is really good. Agreed. But um, otherwise, you think of Colts defense, it's Darius Leonard, DeForest Buckner, Justin Houston. Those kind of guys trigger the name. But Kenny Moore, I mean, the more he starts getting on ESPN and all that stuff, the more he's going to register in people's minds for Pro Bowl ballots. And, you know, people have heard me rant about the Pro Bowl, and I'll probably do it on Wednesday. Like, it's, <laughs> it, it, it's an utter joke how players get in. But, like, it matters. There's yeah. contract incentives yep. that like help dictate this, and it's difficult to be an all-pro. And I, I, I just think Kenny Moore deserves it. But no, you are right, man. It's just it's it's kind of a joke. All right, Raj wants to know. We all know that Hilton has owned the Texans throughout his career, but could this have finally been the game that gets him going as we move down the final stretch of games? Oh, Raj, I mean, let's go back to the second half last week. I mean, te- you know, no no targets for Hilton in that first half, and then he has the four for whatever 80 something in the second half and gets in the end zone I think that snowballed you know he looked and, and this was on Thursday so we were done recording last week he looked pretty pissed off to me and sounded pretty pissed off to me last Thursday at his weekly media session you know we had Matt Taylor voice of the Colts on our show on Friday and um I asked Matt you know I thought that was the most pissed off I'd seen Hilton all year and he agreed I mean he was like yeah there was something there to him and you know what it's uh it's the final month of, of his contract. <laughs> you know, no, I, I, I think that that matters as well. Um, but, man, I'll say what, a, what I said earlier. If Hilton and Taylor can get going down the stretch, now it's more a few sleepless hours for opposing defensive coordinators than maybe they saw on film earlier in the year. And that could do wonders, wonders for an offense you know, trying to play at a higher level. All right, Chris, how much do you think the rotation at running back has hurt us this season? I don't think our situational football has been great this year. We seem to mismatch our running back personnel with the situation. For example, third and long screens to Wilkins when Hines would be better on an open field. Hines on some regular distant downs went, went, went to Taylor, and Wilkins would seem to do better. Seems like coaching staff is overthinking or simply just bad coaching combination slash communication between coaches. I agree with so much of that. I do. Um unpredictable you like it's it's great you have versatile guys that can do multiple things that's fine and well but there also comes a point in games where you have to play to your player's strengths that's first and foremost before you want to be unpredictable and add that next layer to your to your offense if you're running the triple option with philip rivers that's not going to end well (laughs) if you are you know whatever thinking that T.Y. Hilton is going to be you know, used as a freaking fullback, that's not going to end well. Like You have to play to these guys' strengths. So I think at running back, I see that a whole lot. I do. Um, do you think that has a lot to do with the Marlon Mack injury where they're doing the running back by committee and they almost get too much in their own head about how to scheme different guys in situations and that's yeah. what's happening? No, I think that's a good point. I think that's part of it. And like I was saying, Frank Reich scripts the first 15 with the running backs involved. And then it goes to Tom Rathman you know, once you get in the flow of the game. And it just seems like with and, – and running back position, Mark, probably evolves more than any over the course of a season. I mean, think about how many years where it's like, you know, Richardson starts the year as a running back, and then by October you realize he is terrible. So then it's Boom Heron ending the year as the Colts starting running back or something like that. So I get it. 
at that position it evolves. Okay, so right now, entering the final quarter of the season, it's evolved to this for me. Jonathan Taylor needs a good, solid number one workload. Naeem Hines in his usual role. And then Jordan Wilkins, maybe, maybe a series or two. That's evolved since we talked a month ago, two months ago, things like that. That's fine. But that's what it needs to be for the final quarter. All right. Andrew, Chaz Green did not play well on Sunday. Is there any chance we try to Danny Pinter at left tackle? I know he was a tackle in college. I also understand there's a reason why we needed to switch to guard to center at the pro level. I just know something needs to happen if Costanzo is going to miss many more games. I see Pittsburgh coming in a few weeks and we'll be destroyed by that defensive front if we can't find a solution. Yeah, Andrew, obviously a great question, and uh, we'll, we'll see how things play out with this little Raven-Clark Achilles news and how Chaz Green made it through the back injury. The only other guy in their roster that is a tackle, not named Braden Smith, is Cardo O'Donnell, undrafted free agent, who's never played a snap in the league. So I would assume a roster move is coming. You know, uh, there was like a little bit of flirting. I, I don't know how much merit to, to put to this of, you know, possibly if you got into an emergency situation in the game, you know, Quentin Nelson to left tackle, and then Danny Pintner into left guard, which obviously Pintner, that's more of a natural-ish position for him, at least you know, he's played in the interior that's where he's only drilled in the NFL, whereas in college he was only a right tackle Um, you know, maybe it's something that you practice this week, but having said that it's great news you know, for very very different reasons Rigoberto Sanchez wasn't on IR, and neither was Anthony Casanzo, which means, you know, you would think the Colts expect them back within this three-week window. So, Casanzo traveled to Houston. We'll see uh, how long he's going to miss, but I thought that was a good sign that they didn't put him on IR. All right, Colt Maniac, just want to say love the podcast, and how much do you think Jim Irsay paid Lady Luck for that bad snap against the Texans? <laughs> I'm guessing a uh, Pete Townsend autographed guitar, probably. <laughs> right? Yeah, something like that. Here's a drum or a drum set or something. Oh, boy, man, that's a great gift. But, you know, credit to Grover Stewart, Mark. We had Jeff Saturday on the morning show, and he he mentioned this, that, you know, think about the timeout before that play. Grover Stewart had kind of crossed the face of Nick Martin a couple times in that game. And you think about the timeout, what Houston's O-line coach, you know, Tim Kelly, their O-coordinator, is probably saying to Nick Martin, we've got to get on Stewart. Like, we've got to get a hat on him because he can blow the whole play up. And now it's third and goal from the four or third and goal from the five. And I think that's exactly what happened. Grover Stewart got that quick first step, crossed his face, a little bit of panic, and it's an errant snap. And and then Grover gets in there and forces the ball out when it looked like Watson was was right there as well. Just great hustle. And, boy, Anthony Walker pouncing on that ball because Walker had a couple penalties that oof, were not good. All right, we've reached the uh, Frank Wright hate portion of Twitter questions. This is Craig. Oh gosh. Hey, Kevin, I'm really frustrated by Reich. I love his aggressiveness, but his play calling has been poor and the team has lacked discipline. For example, why the lack of running in the first half against the 31st-ranked rush defense? Taylor averaged 7 yards per carry, yet he only had 13 carries versus 12 by Wilkins and Hines, who averaged 2 yards per carry combined. Also, too many silly penalties in crunch time. Like the last drive, false start, and holding. To me, that's a lack of discipline, and it comes down from coaching. How would you grade Reich in this game and the season? Yeah, I, I'd probably give him about a C for that game. Um, I'd probably give him a, a B- minus for this season. Um, and those are just grades right off the top of my head. I probably should put more thought into that. You know, Craig points out, 31st rush D, he's disappointed in the lack of running the first half. The Colts scored 24 points in the first half. 
you can kick the ball down the field for all I care. You score 24 points. I, I, I don't know how you can be mad. Where I have the issue with the run game is you got into some long-distance situations in the third quarter. And again, Taylor was not used. That's where my – you had to realize that it wasn't – that trend wasn't going to continue. Houston's going to make halftime adjustments. So you're going to have to get the ground game going a little bit to alleviate Chaz Green and J.J. Watt and slow down that rust that you know is coming. Um, and, and like I said earlier, the Bradley Roby injury, clearly he wanted to attack that secondary. Um, and, and let's not act like Frank Reich had just the worst game in the world. We've acknowledged some mistakes, but how much open field did T.Y. Hilton have on his touchdown? How much open field did Jonathan Taylor have on his touchdown as well? You know, Philip Rivers throws for nearly 80% with a third stringer at left tackle. Like, it's not all horrific. It's not doom and gloom. No, this is not, you know, whoever. He's Bill, not on the hot seat. There's Bill O'Brien. Yeah, boy, I couldn't believe that call earlier. <laughs> um, now, we will acknowledge it is not perfect by any means. I thought, honestly, most of the issues there when you had the stalled-out drives in the third quarter and, I guess, even early fourth, I just thought you broke down on the O-line. Now, again, was some of that down in distance? And if you would have ran it or been more effective on early downs, could you avoid it some of those situations? Sure, that's fair. But right to me, I, I, I think where I have the frustration coming out of this game is certainly the fourth-and-one call like I've laid out and just the handling of the running backs. And maybe not leaning on that run game a little bit more when you saw the O-line start to have some breakdowns. Okay. Zach, punter Ryan Allen played well, but I really missed a near lock to pin inside the 10-yard line when it matters most. That touchback very nearly hurt us. Yeah, it's funny. I um, I was thinking that same thing, but then, you know, when you look at Ryan Allen's numbers after the game, you found a punter off the street. Yeah. Tennessee found a punter off the street, literally, from FedEx a few weeks ago and shanked a punt and had one blocked. I think you'll accept what Ryan <laughs> Allen did. And I really thought that punt late was pretty good. I thought Doolin had a chance at it, maybe just timing a hair off. David, do you ever think Philip Rivers will sneak the ball this season just to throw off a defense in a critical situation? I've thought about this all year long until the injury, and I'm like, they're just saving it. Like, they will do it. Rivers has got to take one for the team. He's got to sneak one in a big situation. But I literally think with a toe injury, no. I would love to see Phil Rivers just scamper for like 23 yards and the defense look around like, what the hell was that? It would take, it would be so long. Like, you know, the delay from like people's tweets that are at the game versus the TV delay. You would have the Rivers run still be running and people would tweet about the run. Like, that's how long it would take for Phil Rivers to scamper. Red Zone yards. could st- show the start of the run. Then go to three more games highlights yeah. and come back, and Rivers would be like ten yards yeah, in. Here's two Tyree Kill touchdowns, and now we're back, and Rivers is you know going out of bounds there at at, at the five yard line. Remember that run we told about Phil Rivers? It's still going. <laughs> All right, Matt. Is there anything to say about the fairly slow pass units the Colts are using against Watson? I'm shocked Ture hasn't been used more. Yeah, nine steps for Kamoko Ture. A little bit surprised by that. I, I think Ture, Houston, Autry, and Buckner is their best rush group. But, Mark, I kind of go back to what I said earlier about the Justin Houston thing. Kamoko Ture isn't uh, maybe your most disciplined rusher. Now, I think he's your most effective and best rusher off the edge. But, you know, is he a great stunter? Is he a great team rusher? You know, kind of like things like that. I think that's why they do like al Muhammad and Justin Houston a little bit more. But, um, yeah, I mean, you're going to – 
you need you will need more from Ture to get it done in the month of January. Alex, hey, quick, quick question for the pod. If you have a spare minute, I'm just curious. Titans, Browns, Raiders, who do we root for? The South is still in play, but I feel like more options to make the playoffs with the extra wild card spot. Yeah, you know, I, I thought it was good the Browns beat the Titans yesterday. I know some people were like, oh, should you be locked in the wild card? I have the view of what is the best chance to win a game in the playoffs? Host a home game. Point blank period. Yep. Right there. So I think division. And right now you're tied, and, and, and the divisional tiebreaker is in Tennessee's favor. But, you know, schedules are relatively even. Colts might have a slightly tougher schedule. But now it's just one game. I mean, you, you are just one game that can um, – that can change it so uh the wild card really is going to come down to this Raiders game like if you lose to the Raiders on Sunday that means and let's just say Devils Advocate Baltimore wins their next two games you will have Cleveland lost head-to-head tiebreaker the Raiders lost head-to-head tiebreaker and the Ravens so there's three teams that are either above you in the standings or above you because they have the head-to-head tiebreaker. And then uh, Miami has a better conference record. So they have the head-to-head tiebreaker, you know, in, in, in that sense. So that's where, you know, you get thrown in the divisional and it might look a little bit better for you there. So uh, Tennessee's got Jacksonville, the Lions, Packers, the Packers, and the Texans. The mm-hmm. Colts have the Raiders, Texans, Steelers, Jaguars. Jaguars. So that week sixteen, both teams have tough games. At Packers, at Steelers. So yeah. I think it was you gotta have home field. Yeah, I agree. End of the, uh Jason, end of the game aside, do you feel like the Colts won this game or the Texans lost it? One last thing on Alex's question. The other thing about the wild card mark. It's one thing to get in when the wild card head-to-heads aren't in your favor. There's a good chance that you'll be the six or seven seed, which would mean Kansas City if you're the seven seed, or you know even a Buffalo. Like you'd much rather play Tennessee in a four-five matchup, but like you're gonna have to win a lot to kind of be the top wild card team as well. And that means no home games too at any point, right? Unless barring huge upsets. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, read me Jason's question again. He said, "End of the game aside, do you feel like the Colts won this game or the Texans lost it?" Oh, these are always tough questions. I mean. I felt like the Texans lost it. Yeah. But having said that, the Colts put themselves into a position with with play. I mean, DeForest Buckner's making plays. Justin Houston safety. Kenny Moore pick. What Hilton did in the first half. Jonathan Taylor. Like, the Colts made a lot of winning plays. But at the end of the day, if that is Ryan Kelly with an errant snap there, every Colt fan is saying, we blew it. We lost it. We had it right there. Like, you've got to make sure you look at that. And... I trust Deshaun Watson to get two yards. I don't know about you guys, but I tend to think. I honestly thought there was a better chance the Texans would have missed the extra point there than not scored a touchdown. Like yeah. that's. I, I was just kind of like, all right, uh, this is going to be a touchdown. Uh, how much time is going to be left? I assumed it was a foregone conclusion that Deshaun Watson right. was going to score. Right. All right, Bryant. Here's another <laughs> Frank Reich question. Reich is a fraud, and you won't convince me otherwise. Damn. Give me Jim Caldwell. Although Frank was a genius play caller, I can tell you he's a horrible game manager. <laughs> I think there's a question in there somewhere. Yeah, yeah, I, thought, I don't know. There's certainly a statement in there. Um, boy, Frank Reich. Yeah, this isn't the birthday I don't present. get the Frank Reich hate. Was, I really don't. Yeah, you know, the, the, the hate to this degree I think is a bit much. Um, 
you know, question him as a game manager, I, I don't think that's the most absurd thing in the world. I will say this. Frank Reich, great job on the challenge of T.Y. Hilton's catch. You know, we saw last night in the Kansas City-Denver game. Uh, challenges are not <laughs> always a foregone conclusion. So that was good game management there, especially when your offense has the ball and things are a bit chaotic. But, no, Brian, I mean, the Colts are 8-4. and four. Off to their best start since 2014. I can't go with Frank Reich as a fraud. But I will say this. I You're think not going to convince him otherwise. I, I don't think Jim Caldwell. I think I think the slander on Jim Caldwell is un, uncalled for for people that still. I feel like Jim Caldwell, people are starting to realize, was a decent football coach because yeah. of Matt Patricia being terrible. <laughs> yeah. He's available if anybody wants him. Yeah, Matt Patricia, yeah. Boy. I think he'll take a job. Yeah. Go, Daniel. Go work at Amherst. <laughs> I know Eberflus had some interest in head coaching spots. If he leaves this offseason, what would you say about the Colts trying to poach Clark Lee from Notre Dame? Seems to be a similar defense and personnel with guys that fly around. I know Lee is getting head coaching looks and is rumored to be a Vandy candidate, so he would take a, probably a pro job first. Yeah, and I promise this isn't me as a different alias trying to hype up the Notre Dame defensive coordinator. There's a Notre Dame question I just assumed you submitted yeah, it yourself. Yeah, probably is. Like, honey, I thought I logged out of that Twitter account. Um... Yeah, I love Clark Lee, but that's a big jump. And I think what we have to remember about the defensive approach here in Indianapolis is Chris Ballard is steadfast in this Tampa 2, 4-3, play fast, play quick on turf. Like, steadfast in that. He made the Matt Eberflus higher. Again, that was not necessarily Josh McDaniels. That was Chris Ballard being like, no, three, four teams, they don't go to the Super Bowl, like, you know, and, and, and you know, that's kind of a long story, but whatever. I just think it's such a different jump from a college defensive coordinator to, like, defending college football teams versus defending NFL teams is such a difference. You know, the NFL, it's you still have some traditionality, if you will. College football is like, oh, yeah, how many – do they have eight receivers on the field? Or, you know, are they looking at SpongeBob and <laughs> Beyonce on the sidelines? Like, w- w- what is this? So, um, but do you really want to take the Vanderbilt job, Clark Lee? Stay at Notre Dame, please. All right, this is my favorite question of the entire segment. Oh, God, Dylan, nervous. well, I love would-you-rather questions. And Dylan says, would you rather be – the Colts have to be at three and eight with Justin Herbert at quarterback, or the eight and four Colts with Philip Rivers. Boy, this is good. This is probably the question of the week. Because um, if you're three and eight, you're also looking probably top ten for a draft pick too. For sure. Um, to me, it's a no-brainer. To me, but I will probably disagree with a lot of fans. I have the long-term view. So I say, three and eight with Herbert, and you just live. Hey, at least it'd be damn entertaining. I mean, Herbert. Besides yesterday, <laughs> you know, forty-five nothing. But uh, yeah, it just I, I look at this Colts team and I'm like, and again, I totally see where fans say eight and four. Like I'm never this believer with Notre Dame of like you need to lose because he needs to be fired. No, no, no. Like I, I want my team to win. I, ch- I. I don't know. Maybe you're you're the better case study with this with your Bears currently yeah. on a losing streak. But it's I, like in this year, cheering for wins is great, but oh, I don't know. this is tough for me. No, I can tell you right now, as a long-suffering Bears fan, I would take three and eight with Justin Herbert because you have a yeah, young see, QB <laughs> going into the future um, and a top ten pick I'm and a top ten right pick. 
I'm drafting whatever the kid from Oregon or you know some tackle early, and that's my blind side for the quarterback of the future. That, that that's what I would be doing. No, because let me know. Tell you right now, the Bears are going nowhere fast. They might be the worst team like heading into the future at five and seven. They've got no QB. They've got no. They've got too much money. They got no cap space for next season. Allen Robinson's going to leave this and that. Please. Give me a franchise quarterback for God's sake. <laughs> I will take Justin Herbert all day and suffer with the wins because with the losses because at this point, every win you're just you're going nowhere fast. I think a lot of it is kind of your your temperament as a fan on game day. If you are going irate and cussing out the TV on a routine basis, you probably want eight and four. But if you can be a little bit more mild mannered, you can probably say, "Oh yeah, I'd watch Justin Herbert." I mean, the Colts were three and thirteen in Peyton Manning's first year. That, that, that couldn't have been could have easy been to watch. But the payoff was nice. Right. Because I feel like with Chargers fans, you're seeing Justin Herbert on one side, you're seeing Bosa on the other side. Aren't you kind of like, okay, this is bad now, but it's going to be pretty good coming up soon. Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, top 10 pick, like you said. I mean, yeah. I, <laughs> I would have that approach, but I know that's easier said than done. I get fandom. I am a diehard fan of a lot of things. I, I totally get it. I love that question, Dylan. All right, Matthew. Hey, Kev, love the podcast and all your other work. I'm a longtime listener, but this is my first time asking a question for the podcast. Let's go. Yeah. Love it, Matthew. Where does all the hype from Kamoku Ture come from? Do you think fans have placed too much hope and overly high expectations on him? I'm not saying that he doesn't have talent or is a flash in the pan that we've seen in the past, but still seems somewhat unproven. I sure hope he turns out to be a stud, but I feel like we've kind of looked at him as a savior only because our pass rush has been so deficient. Thanks, man. Keep up the great work. Shout out to all your great fill-in producers, co-hosts, LOL. <laughs> Agreed. And thank you to Mark Dyke. Thanks, Matt. For, uh, stepping Lovely. in here. Was that you as an alias? <laughs> That's not my burner account, okay. no. Gotcha. I wasn't sure if Kevin Durant had gotten to you. Um, well, you know, the the, 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 the Ture hype is probably one of the more popular topics we get. I do think some of it is like, he loves social media and posts a lot about training with Robert Mathis. So I think that that is some of it. But still, having said that, the guy is showing flashes. Like early last year, he showed flashes. Um, now, the reason I've always kind of been a bit reserved, it's like he had hardly any production at Rutgers compared to most second round picks. And I was kind of like, man, is this always just, is this always going to be the can't miss prospect that can never put it all together? But there's been more fl- – I mean, if yesterday was ever time to have Ben Banigou is healthy and dressing, you would have him, and he wasn't even healthy and dressing. Like, Ture, to me, has shown some flash, some bend. It's always just the injuries and the consistency is what is what really has worried me. Um, but I think that's where it comes from of, like, he has shown it in games. And I think we're just looking for the next edge rusher. Jerry Hughes was a miss here in Indianapolis. Bjorn Werner was a miss here. You know, I guess to some degree Terrell Basham was a miss, even though he wasn't a very high pick or, or or as high as the other. But I think you have to keep in mind here that Ture has shown it, but still this is a very raw, raw kid dating back to his college days. All right, if you like the Justin Herbert dream scenario, you're going to like these next few questions. Robert, how late in the first round do you think a quarterback like Kyle Trask would be available. He has a great tight end and a pretty good wide receiver, but not the receivers Mac Jones has at Alabama. He's a late bloomer, but showed signs of greatness even last year. I'm hopeful he'll be available at number 20 overall, in which case the Colts could possibly get a franchise QB without making a trade. 
Yeah, Trask in the in the twenties. Um, I could see. I mean, I, I I get that Mac Jones has some incredible wideouts, but I, boy, there there's something about him that I like. I enjoy. I don't know. Did you watch any of that BYU Coastal Carolina game? I, that was sadly not on my watch list. Yeah, well, it, that shows you how boring the Bowen household was on Saturday. But uh, yeah, it, it it was on mine a little bit. First off, the green turf, awesome. Uh, secondly, Zach Wilson, very very live arm. I know he didn't wasn't great in that game, but you can see why teams love him. What I don't love about Trask is I just think he's just too much of a statue. I want a little bit more of a a younger Philip Rivers. You're saying? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want a little bit more of a shaker and a mover. All right, this is either Jimmy or Jimay. I've never seen that spelling before, G-I-M-M-A-E. What's up, longtime listener, first time sending in a question. Here's a scenario. Jalen Hurts kills it the rest of the year for the Eagles, and Wentz is benched. How much would you give up to go after Carson Wentz in the offseason? Uh, coming off a great performance yeah, when he got benched. Boy. Jeez, this isn't a good time to give any answer. <laughs> Maybe a second, but I, I don't like it. I don't. I don't. I don't like doing that. So don't act like I never said that. But I'm just <laughs> answering from your, the podcast. Yeah, I'm just answering your question. I don't. I'm just such a big believer in clean slate, fresh mindset, not a scarred quarterback. And I know there's some Frank Reich history there, and it might work out. But God, Carson Wentz looks lost. Yeah. I yeah, and I don't know what it is either because it's just. I don't know if it's game planning or just him. He's got like just a block or something, but it's just it's mind boggling how like yeah the drop off is crazy. I know, and, and the O line major issues there, but still, yeah, it's it, it is absurd. All right, John. Assuming the Colts draft a quarterback first, would you rather them trade up for someone like Zach Wilson slash Mac Jones or wait it out and take someone like Trask or Lance in the late first? Well, I think it's a little early, John, to be slotting in the quarterbacks of like where they're going to go. You know, I've seen plenty of mocks to have Trey Lance going top ten and Mac Jones not going top ten or wherever you want to trade up. So, um, we get a lot of these questions. I'll be honest; I've watched you know pretty much just all game copy or TV copies of these guys so far. So, I'm not going to go on a ledge just yet. We'll have plenty of time to talk about this, but. You know, Mark, maybe this is recency bias, but just watching Deshaun Watson yesterday, I think further drives home my point of what I've been saying all along. You have to take a risk as a franchise at that position. And it's not easy to get it done, but that dude is special on that. I mean, he's literally throwing to uh, Chad Hansen. Uh, again, I don't know if his father's Scott Hansen, but like, who is he? Like, yeah. it's that O line has been so, so bad throughout his time the run game is almost non-existent but he gives you a chance and you got to find that dynamic sort of signature. he's one he's one of those guys Deshaun Watson quit quickly becoming a guy like a Mahomes or a Rodgers where he makes guys you've never heard of look like stars on a week in and week out basis like who the hell is this guy and all of a sudden you got Robert Tanyan tearing it up for three touchdowns in Green Bay and all and you're just like where did these guys come from but he makes everyone around him better I mean he literally was without his like four best wideouts for a chunk of yesterday I guess Cooks was kind of in and out but yeah it's just you have to be willing to take that chance Denny hey Kev Wondering what's the news on Desmond Patman? Knew he was a draft pick, and when are we going to get a good look at him this year? 
I, I don't think we're going to see him. You know, I, I thought it'd be a redshirt year the whole time. Again, his route tree was not very fine-tuned at Washington State. And, like, it's a six-round pick. I'm not shocked that he's not playing. And right now, you know, you, you have Ashton Doolin to Michael Harris. I think the Colts are a little bit more the shiftier wideouts right now. Uh, Marcus Johnson has really been relegated to only playing a little bit after um, playing a lot more earlier in the year now that Michael Pittman's come on. So, um I mean, unless they cut Marcus Johnson or did something, I, I don't think we'll see Desmond Patton. All right, another fantasy quarterback scenario from Greg. I'm almost positive Rivers will be signed for a second year with the Colts, but if he isn't, what do you think about the possibility of the Colts acquiring Matthew Stafford from the Lions or Carson Wentz from the Eagles? Should the Colts be aggressive in free agency and acquire a wide receiver? Love the show. Yeah, I, I do on, on the wideout part. I do think they should be aggressive. You know, as far as the Stafford-Wentz debate, Mark, I also have this thing of like – you know how many band-aids can you put on it how 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 many times you delay in the inevitable sooner or later you will have to take a chance in the draft point blank period every professional franchise has to draft well you are not if you don't draft well especially at that position you're never going to find the long long-term success you know stafford wentz yes in my opinion they're somewhat intriguing but they're not intriguing in 5, 10, 15 years since. Maybe Wences. But I just... Yeah, those moves scream like Denver Broncos moves. Because <laughs> Peyton Manning, right. okay, Joe right, Flacco. Right, right, like, yeah. Just throw these guys in there because they don't, you know, Drew Locke doesn't look that great. So, And I also think you got to think about the financials. I think we talked about it on last week's podcast. You know, you're about to be paying a guard, an off-ball linebacker, a center, a defensive tackle, z- plural a lot of money yeah that's not quarterback so like getting the rookie contract quarterback also helps you out from a book standpoint think that helped with russell i can't speak think that helped with uh, seahawks with russell wilson and kyler murray right now right i mean think about mahomes i mean on on the rookie deal for several seasons lamar jackson you know on, on the rookie deal as well yeah for several reasons i think it makes sense all right rounding out twitter questions is creighton who says i'm feel like we should start leaning towards a quarterback like Fitzpatrick on a cheap deal next season. Have him start maybe one to two games for us until Eason is good to go. I feel like that should be the plan next season if he can't get a high-level QB. Thoughts? Yeah, I don't, I don't love it again. Band-Aid, Band-Aid, Band-Aid. And, like, starting one or two games, just throw Eason into the mix right away. Yeah, what's, that, the what's fir- that doing for you? Give him all the first-team starting reps throughout the offseason and go. And God bless Brian Fitzpatrick. What a awesome NFL career but no I, I don't need to see him as the Colts starting quarterback I don't I don't rip the band-aid off yeah that's the end for Twitter questions that was that great was- man um appreciate that thanks for stopping in studio like I said uh Chris Presley will probably be back next week uh we'll come back on Wednesday preview the Raiders big one big 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 one you know I said a few weeks ago unless the Colts lose to both the Titans and the Raiders I really feel like they're gonna make the playoffs and I uh, firmly believe that I think you win on Sunday you have a great, great chance. you got to fall on your face, literally, uh, to, to miss the playoffs um, and a loss, and that brings a whole lot of scenarios into play. He's Mark Dykton. I'm Kevin Bowen. Everybody have a great week, and we'll talk to you on Wednesday.